This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. Hey, Molly. Mm, Matthew, I'm still chewing. What? <laughs> what if I told you that one of your favorite podcast hosts was going to be on Jeopardy on Monday night, April 8th, 2019. Oh, do you mean Terry Gross? Nope. Guess again. Um, Ivor Glass. Nope. Oh, oh. Matthew Amsterburton. That's right. Tune in to your local Jeopardy affiliate at 7 or 7.30 p.m. on Monday night, April 8th. If you're listening to this after that, too late. See you in front of the TV. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we are talking about MSG. As as our listeners may know, June has become a fan of the show. Yeah. And she was asking me yesterday what we were going to be taping today. Oh, yeah. This is Trying to explain MSG to her, I, I got nowhere. Well, I think I think you'd start with it's like salt. I was like, it's the thing that that makes foods taste more like themselves. It's it's in prosciutto. It's in tomatoes. It's. Yep. Cooked tomatoes. It's in Parmesan cheese. It's umami. It's and then, and then I just. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. As soon as you said umami, she's like, "All right, I got other things to do." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I've heard this spiel from you before, Mom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we might get a little sciency on this episode, and at some point, Molly's going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, and either I'll look it up or I'll say I'll look it up later and then forget. And on the recent episode we did about um, was it frozen carbonated beverages, uh, Slurpees? Yes, uh, Flurpees. Flurpees. I went a little bit too deep into oh, but frozen. I loved it. Frozen carbonated beverage machines. Was that the one where and you took us through minute by minute? No, that no, was that Cheetos. No, that was Cheetos. That oh, was the Cheesy yeah. Puffs episode. Oh, wow. No, uh, in this one, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to reel you in I think you on are MSG. Have to reel the, me in. The way that you had to sort of reel me in on, on frozen carbonated <laughs> oh, beverages. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So... MSG, memory lane. Do you have any? I, you know, I heard about MSG as a kid because yeah, we had like a, a Chinese restaurant down the street, like Chinese American food. As we all know, it was called Hunan. It was in Cassidy mm-hmm. Square. And I've now been to Cassidy Square and it's now at Trader Joe's. No, that's what the market is. Yeah. What is, what is it now? I can't remember what it is now where Hunan used to be. But anyway, 
We used to go there. I loved Hunan. And I remember my mom complaining in the 80s that eating Chinese food made her fingers puffy from the uh-huh. MSG. So, And I know we are going to get, we're going to do some serious debunkage. Okay. So there's an amazing story behind what, your mom saying that. But what, Can we do your memory lane? Um, do, did you have anybody with puffy fingers in your childhood? No, but I definitely also got the message that like, you know, MSG was a thing at Chinese restaurants that could make you feel feel sick. I don't know where I first heard this. I feel like I remember my mom standing on the scale the morning after being oh, in a Chinese God. restaurant and feeling that like she she felt that she was like retaining water or something. Um so well, let's start off with a little background on what MSG is and then we'll get into like why how this story <clears throat> got started. Okay, okay, cuz it's fascinating. It is. So, MSG is a food additive uh, that goes back thousands of years in the form of things like fermented fish sauce, which uh, is uh, still popular in Asia, but um, in the past was uh, very popular in like ancient Rome. It was called colatura, right? Or garum. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, garum. Okay. Yep. It is in aged cheese. It is in dried mushrooms. It's in tomato paste. These are all things that have it in like large quantities. Cured, but cured pork. Cured pork, absolutely. Or maybe all cured meats. Um, it is. It is the flavor of umami. And what umami is is, in 1908, a Japanese biochemist named Kikunai Ikeda at Tokyo Imperial University was investigating why broth made with kombu seaweed tasted savory in a way that was distinct from like salty things or browned foods. How do you even quantify that? I mean, like, how did he know it wasn't just his perception? That's a good question. I mean, I think the answer is he was a biochemist. Do you ever just sit around and think like, well, so for instance, you and I were just eating English muffins. Yeah. Do you ever sit around and think about like, does an English muffin with butter taste the same to you as it does to me? Oh, I mean, like, how high are you? <laughs> no, I'm not high at all right now. No, but I think about this all the time. Like, yeah, yeah, like, sure. Does you, you're wearing your purple sweatshirt again. Mm-hmm. Does the way I see the purple look the same as the way you see the purple? So that's a good question. Uh, there's no real empiric way to test that. But, I mean, we can say that people seem to respond to it in similar ways. The same way My that— My sweatshirt, that is. Everybody seems to respond by saying, cool sweatshirt, bro. <laughs> the same way that we can all think about um, things like aged cheese or dried mushrooms, uh, prosciutto, and, and, and we can all kind of infer, like, what— what mm-hmm. the unifying savoriness is that right. they all so, have? I mean, we can we can all kind of agree on what uh, what things are savory. There's no way to know really if we're all experiencing like qualitatively that savoriness okay. in the same way. Here's a question for yeah. you. It, so, it would seem weird if we didn't, though, kind of, right? It would seem really weird. I mean, you know, given that there are like, for instance, uh, like tasting notes for wines. Mm-hmm. I mean, that assumes a certain like concordance among like palates. It does assume a concordance. <laughs> what is wrong with me? Isn't a concordance like a? I'm I'm talking like I'm high. Uh, this is how right I talk exactly. When I'm high. Well, I mean, I just, just oh, I did just serve God. you something with a bunch of MSG, and I've heard that MSG is a thing at Chinese restaurants that makes you use big words. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously. So MSG, monosodium glutamate. Yes. It's a molecule the same way that like like sodium. Right. So it is, is a mo- it's a sodium salt chloride is a like, molecule. Like sodium chloride is a salt. But in this case the uh the companion ion to the sodium is not 
chloride, but glutamate, which yes. is uh, an amino acid. Okay. And it just happens to be naturally occurring in some foods the way that sodium is naturally, like sodium chloride is naturally occurring in some foods. Right. Exactly. But we are also able to synthesize it the same way we can synthesize sodium right. chloride. And the key thing is, just like with sodium chloride, there is no difference between the natural MSG found in Parmesan cheese and artificial MSG okay. that's synthesized in a lab. Do you remember when I thought you were you had studied chemistry? I mean, I took some. I took several I, chemistry classes. I did too, but I think there was a time when I thought you had a degree in chemistry for some reason, and then I was shocked to discover that we both had degrees in biology. Well, I was wearing that shirt that said "Ask me about my <laughs> chemistry degree." <laughs> It was a purple shirt, but to you, it looked chartreuse. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Go on. So uh, Ikeda, um, he coined the term umami, which uh, in Japanese just means delicious taste. And like the year after he first isolated MSG, which was 1908. That long ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. This was 1908. And so it was first produced commercially um, in 1909 under the name Ajinomoto, which means like uh, uh, the the origin of flavor. Ah. Um, and that Ajinomoto is, is still the world's most popular brand of MSG, and it's uh, kind of used as a generic term for it in Japanese. The way that we talk about, the way that we use the term MSG here, they use uh, Ajinomoto? Yeah, yep. okay. absolutely. So it's it's a bit of an oversimplification to say that MSG is the flavor of umami, but it's the main flavor, and the other umami flavors are very closely related to it. They're all glutamate molecules, different, okay. different slightly different Conformations. Okay. Concordances. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. I mean, I take it all back. I don't know what happens to me sometimes, but I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you did use the word correctly, and I just pounced on it like a jerk. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for so that. So the next part of the story is 1968. All right. <sighs> okay. And this. This is the part. So to be fair, this was in a recent This American Life story. Yes, which we'll link to. Okay. It it was an amazing story. It was really fantastic. Take it away, Matthew. Okay. In 1968, a Chinese-American doctor named Robert Homan Kwok sent a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine, and they gave his letter the headline, Chinese Restaurant Syndrome. In the letter, he described, quote, numbness at the back of the neck, gradually radiating to both arms and the back, and general weakness and palpitation when eating at Chinese-American restaurants. And he identified this as being different from when he had Chinese, had Chinese food uh, in China, where he grew up. And he speculated that maybe MSG had something to do with this. Hmm. I don't okay. think the New, Engl- New England Journal of Medicine would publish a letter like this today. It's highly speculative. Right. It seems based on nothing. So what followed was months and months of letters from mostly non-Chinese readers attributing all sorts of maladies to MSG, like everything from, from like, my finger felt funny to death. Like, as you would expect. A lot of this was racist. Yeah, there was a lot of racist racist. shit, including, so MSG was already widely used in processed foods uh, and other restaurants, but all of the discussion focused on Chinese restaurants. There was a story in the New York Times that alleged that Chinese restaurants were sneaking all sorts of things onto your plate, such as snake meat, dog meat, and MSG. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and these were all myths that I heard as a kid. Right. these, These kinds of, like, gross things they they really had legs so it really seems like everything we everything people I mean the, say i mean the these racist myths have, not have, not the, right, not right, the right. dogs yes. or the snakes snakes don't have legs. snakes do not have legs but they but they can get around really quickly even it's fascinating, so fascinating right we should i was gonna say we should do an episode about snakes 
Okay, go go on, go on. So it really seems like everything people say about, you know, I ate MSG and got this reaction goes back to this letter in 1968. This one letter. This one letter, letter to the editor. It wasn't even like, it wasn't even the result of a study. It was just. It, right. It was just a letter. There have been studies. What they find is if you invite to the lab a bunch of people who think that they're sensitive to MSG and then you divide them into a control group and a treatment group and you give the treatment group a large dose of MSG Mm -hmm. and you give the control group a placebo, uh, there's no difference between the the two groups. The other thing that I wonder about is, so so Robert Homan Kwok mm-hmm. uh, had immigrated from China. Yeah. And he says that, that the food that he had in Chinese-American restaurants in the U.S. did this to him, but not food in his native China. Wouldn't they have been using MSG there, too? Yes. I mean, if, if, it, if it was produced in Japan nearby starting in the early 1900s, was it being widely used in Chinese food? I think so. At some point? Um, I mean, it's certainly possible that Chinese-American restaurants were using more of it at the time, but it does not cause any of those things. Correct. So, um, Yeah, I mean, this is all very poor logic. Yeah, and there's there's a name for this that I learned in the course of researching this. When um, So when you think that something is good for you um, and it actually makes you feel better, even though it doesn't have any inherent effects, that's called a placebo. Mm-hmm. A placebo effect. Right, placebo effect. The opposite, when you think something is bad for you and then it makes you feel bad, because that's what you think is going to happen. That's called the nocebo effect. It's fascinating to me how common both of these things are in in human behavior and human experience. Right. And I mean, like, they work even if you know about them. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I have no doubt that people will learn and sort of integrate into their brains this story about Robert Homan Kwok and this letter. Yep. And yet they will continue to feel that they are the exception and, and that MSG does something to them. Also, they'll be mad at us because we said they're not really allergic to MSG. This oh, is a thing I've noticed. Oh, no. Oh, no. We are going <laughs> to get it. Okay. So Helen Rosner, can we call her a friend of the show? We met her once. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, Helen, can we be friends? Yeah. She's one of the best food writers. Um, she wrote a great piece for The New Yorker um, about MSG in which uh, she goes to the Ajinomoto factory and does the factory tour in, uh, I think, Kawasaki, Japan. And she writes in the article, despite MSG's image makeover, I found that plenty of people remain resistant to incorporating it into their cooking. They're willing to bring MSG into their homes as a component in other foods, more than happy to accept it as a flavoring powerhouse in Doritos, Mm -hmm. instant ramen, canned soup, and bouillon cubes, or at least happy to accept its euphemisms like hydrolyzed soy protein and autolyzed yeast. But the notion of buying and using the raw ingredient is often a bridge too far. And I found, like, even though I knew all of this, it wasn't until like a few years ago that I brought home some pure MSG and started integrating it into my cooking. Brandon started using MSG in a few things at Delancey, like when we would make um, ranch dressing in-house. And oh, that sounds like it would be great. Yeah. It, it, ranch dressing really needs a little MSG. It, it's yes. way better with it. Um, I think I think like there are some things for which MSG is kind of an inherent part of the flavor profile and ranch dressing is for sure one of those. Yes. But I remember, so I was... Um, I was typing up some of the recipes in the recipe binder at Delancey last year, and I remember finding the original ranch dressing recipe that he developed maybe like five years ago for us to serve. 
and it called for MSG and one of the cooks had come and scratched it out. <gasps> and I asked Brandon about it and he, you know, sort of grumbled and was like, yeah, so and so, whichever whichever cook was was running that station at the time w- was really resistant to using MSG, didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. And so Brandon wound up using a little bit of like Bragg's liquid aminos or something instead. Yeah, which is the same thing. Yeah. With like a few other flavor molecules in there. But but even recently, uh, eating dinner at his house, he made a really delicious salad dressing. And my mom asked what was in it. And it turned out there was a tiny pinch of MSG in it, yes. in addition to all the other things. Yeah, it's really good in salad dressings because that's supposed to be something like intensely flavored and savory. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Panama City Beach, Florida. <sighs> Molly, I am sick. It snowed this morning. It it's, did. It's mid-March. I, I can't handle this anymore. Where should I go? What should I do? I think that you should try Panama City Beach, Florida. Okay, why? Yeah. Okay, here's the deal. All right, so, Matthew, this place... Endless family fun and heart-pounding thrills. I don't know if that's your kind of thrill. Well, but, I mean, but, I have a family. Okay, I have fun. Okay. I like fun. I have a heart. What do you think about romance? I have a big heart. This I place love... has This place has romance. Are you ready? Yes. Here's the deal. Okay. So, you can, you can start with a romantic getaway. Relax, reconnect, dine on the beach with Lori. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody could do that. It's part of the Panama City <laughs> Beach package. Lori is included in yeah. the package? <laughs> They've got breathtaking <laughs> sunsets, live music. And then the next morning you could get up and bike along the beach together. Oh, this sounds great. Yeah. Or take, just, take an airboat tour. I, I could go on and on. Can we just like leave our kid on the beach to do whatever? Sure. She's old okay. enough. Yeah. All right. Uh, so make it special with a romantic getaway. Make it incredible. Make it exhilarating. Make it yours at Panama City Beach, your real fun beach. Plan your escape now at visitpanamacitybeach.com. One way that we know that MSG is not bad for you is because your body is always full of it, even if you're not eating it, because glutamate is an amino acid. Mm -hmm. um, And in the body, it's used for a wide variety of things. Um, It's involved in digestion, but it's even it's a probably the most common excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So this is not to say, I mean, there are a lot of things that occur naturally in the body that if you eat too much of them are toxic. Yes. And it's quite possible that MSG is in that category if you eat a ton of it. But there have been lots and lots of experiments where people have been given way more than you would ever get in a meal or a day of meals, and it just doesn't have any negative effects. What does MSG do, uh, uh, like uh, on the level of taste? Why does it? Why does it do what it does? I'm what does so it do? I'm so glad you asked. So there are receptors on the tongue specifically for MSG. There, you know, you've got at least the, five types of taste receptors. Nature made us to eat MSG. Yeah, it would seem. So I'm starting a new religion. Yeah, <laughs> and here, my friends, is its first. Tenet? Uh, Tenet, yes, yes. We were made. We were made for so many things, and one of those things is eating MSG. Yeah, so on the tongue and other parts of the mouth. Is this enough to start a religion? I'm not sure. Um, I think religions have been started on on less. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to keep working on it. (laughs) Throw in something about snakes. That comes up in a lot of religions. Mm. Okay. So on your tongue, you've got you've got sweet receptors, salty receptors, bitter receptors, sour receptors, and umami receptors. And that would be receptors yep. from MSG. And you know, probably we're going dis- to discover some more receptors if we haven't already. But uh, you know, it's it's clear that uh, you know when when it binds to when MSG binds to those receptors in your mouth, you know it uh, 
it enhances the flavor of other things, especially the like the uh, the bitter and sour things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and you know, it gives a savory sensation. How do you know how much to use? In the same way that you know how much salt to use. Ah, just by tasting. And so by tasting and, and by having experience using it. Okay. Okay. Um, isn't it like, do you find it like it's interesting? This is probably not interesting now that I say it, but like it feels weird to me sometimes as I like see myself, watch myself cooking and, and like my hand sort of knows how much salt to use. Oh, totally. And like I didn't measure it and like... I guess what I'm saying is I'm some sort of superhero. <laughs> that's where that's what salt, it was building to for man. me. Salty man, salty man. I think that's called Salt Bay. So, <laughs> yeah. I guess what he I'm saying is he knows exactly how much to use. That's right. and how to use it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> salt Bay, the original salty superhero. <laughs> so this seems like something where. Um, you know, if you've got an like an Asian grandma, you've probably known this forever. Right. You are yeah, way like, ahead of. I, I feel, yeah, I feel like everything I've been saying is like kind of from a Eurocentric yeah, perspective yes. because, like, yeah, if you grew up in an Asian American household, like none of this is news to you. Yeah. But if you if you don't already use MSG, it's it's like it's like if you were using honey in your cooking and like hadn't tried pure sugar yet. Mm-hmm. Like not that, that uh, that's an interesting. Not comparison. that you have to use it in everything, or that you know it's not it's not something you have to use in everything. There are some things that it's better in, and some that it doesn't make much difference, or doesn't or isn't good. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a great ingredient to have in its pure form when you need it. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Okay. So, like, how do they make this stuff? Okay, I did not know this at all either. So. Most global MSG is produced by bacterial fermentation in a process similar to making vinegar or yogurt. Is there the like an MSG mother? I guess there must be an MSG a mother. Scoby. Yes. But but it's yeah, so like Are we just uh, we're probably taking this too far. I don't know if we are. Like I didn't I didn't try to look into like what that looks like. I haven't been on the on the Ajinomoto factory tour, but I feel like I should next time I go to Japan. Is it in Tokyo? It's it's outside of Tokyo. Okay. Easy to get there. I kind of want to go. Um, yeah, Kawasaki is is a cool city. It's it's like a super industrial part of the Tokyo area, and at night you can take a like an industrial boat tour and like go buy all these like lit up like smoking belching factories with tubes and smokestacks and what else do factories have? Widgets. They're probably making widgets. <laughs> No doubt. At night. I really want to do this. Do they give a lecture on supply and demand while you're on the tour? I, that I seems, seems right. I, I just got a little aroused when you said that. <laughs> so, Matthew, what do you... So, admittedly, I have Admit to... Admit it. Well, I have to say that there was, uh, like, a, a container of MSG in, in my house. Uh-huh. And then when Brandon and I separated and he moved he out, I, I sent it off with him because I wasn't used to using it. And now I feel dumb. So tell me, like, what what would I want to use this in? Okay. Soups, stews, beans, anything with a savory broth. It's really going to shine. And something that uh, is worth doing is deliberately overdoing it a little. Like, take like take out a ladle full of broth and try putting in too much MSG and see what that tastes like. In the same way you would, like, how you learn, like, when you've oversalted something. You you served us red-cooked pork today uh-huh. for lunch, and you felt that you had over-MSG'd it. Maybe well, a little bit. I but then when I was eating it, when, mixed with rice, like, I think, I, I think it was 
just a matter of like when you taste a sauce by itself, it tastes too strong because it's a sauce. I'm really curious to try this because I find it hard to imagine how you could over MSG something. Like I, I can well imagine how something can be too salty. We all know what that's like, but how you can make something taste too savory. Well, it's not too savory. It's that it gets it gives it sort of like a like an unpleasantly strong sort of lip smackiness. Like kind of an astringency, but not really like a tannic astringency, just more like, you know, like this is like really getting into like all the little crevices of my mouth in a way that's just a little too much. Is it like sometimes when you can feel your salivary glands going and it's kind of painful? Yeah, it's totally like that. Yeah, because umami really makes you salivate. I'm salivating just listening to you talk about what it's like. I'm tasting some straight MSG. It tastes like nothing, though. Okay. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I mean. No, it does taste like something. It oh, tastes yeah. savory. It, around, around it tastes mouth. savory. Yeah, it's oh, that's really weird. You know, I feel like I've tasted this flavor in like um, a really plain, uh, like like if you if you cook bok choy in a wok mm-hmm. with garlic and some oil, and then maybe you you put a little bit of chicken stock in and thicken it a little bit with cornstarch. Yes. I feel like the flavor of that kind of like um, brothy sauce. I feel like I've tasted this kind of savoriness in yeah. it. Yeah, you know, it's also like uh, you use better than bouillon too, right? Yes. I don't know if that actually, it, it probably doesn't actually include added MSG per se, but it's definitely high in glutamates and like has that same sort of like punchy savoriness. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is really, I'd never tasted that before. I mean, yeah. on its own and that's cool. Yeah, isn't it? That's really cool. Um. So salad dressings. Definitely. Like okay. one of the best places to use it. And like we, it must have been on the cabbage episode probably when we talked about the zakushi salty cabbage yes, salad. with sesame oil. Yeah. And like I always put a pinch of MSG in that. Okay. Um, and oh, it's one of my favorite things. We'll, we'll uh, post the recipe to that again, for that again on uh, spilledmilkpodcast.com. So you you wrote here on the agenda that you can you can use it in eggs. Tell me about this. Oh yeah, it's good in scrambled eggs. I don't do it every time, mm-hmm. um, but uh, like you know that sort of uh, fried egg savoriness is really perked up with a little MSG. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, in the same way, like I, I don't do it that often because I'm more likely in that case to reach for like a little soy sauce or fish sauce or hot sauce that's going to have MSG in it. Okay. And you put it in but like um, in scrambled eggs, where I'm where I'm probably not going to like add a liquid seasoning to the yes. scrambled eggs. Yeah. Okay. What about so you you wrote here soups and stews and beans? Yeah. Would you put it in just like like cowboy beans? Like a, oh, that like would a be pot great. of like pinto bean type. Yeah, things? I mean because cowboy beans, the way I make them, usually have um, a little bacon and fire roasted tomato and like things. Those things are already going to get some. other glutamate. Yeah. Uh, containing ingredients. Like a little MSG will like take that to the next level. Oh, I'm like really kind of like like there's geekily like, excited there's, about there's this. There's kind of there's I don't know a lot about this, but there there's evidence that there's a synergistic effect among the slightly different varieties of the glutamate molecule. And like if you eat two or three of those varieties together, it's it's better than just one of them. Now, what if you used it? So we think of savory broadly as as a, a non sweet mm-hmm. flavor. What if you have you ever tried using MSG in a sweet application? I what haven't. Happens? I don't think it would be very good. Would it be um, bad? I mean, I think, I, I, yeah, I should, I should try to, this before I make any it. pronouncements. Because trying to imagine, um, I, I think it's not. 
my my guess is it's not going to draw out the aspects of the sweet food that you want to emphasize because fair enough because it's going to draw out whatever savory flavors are there and i could see this working like i'm sure like you know a a talented pastry chef yes. who is being very deliberate about like i want like a savory flavor to come through in this dessert i'm sure pastry chefs like that do work with msg and do do cool things for me at home making like a pan of brownies i don't think it's going to help hmm. it's my okay. guess that makes sense i have trouble imagining it yeah okay one thing I did while researching this episode was like I went on to Epicurious and New York Times, other recipe sites, and just searched for MSG to see like how many recipes I could find that had it. Not very many. Uh, one that I did find that sounded really good was a um, recipe in the New York Times for a uh, chickpea tofu, which is not really tofu. It's like like a dumpling sort of or like a like a dough made from chickpea flour. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uses MSG in that. And as always, it says optional. And so, like, whenever you see MSG in a, in a recipe in English, I feel like it says optional. Yeah. To the point that I recently read uh, Austin Bush's book, um, The Food of Northern Thailand, which is a great book. It's, like, it's a real, like, you know, ethnographic document, like, with beautiful photos. He takes great photos and, you know, dishes, like, the way a grandma would make them in Northern Thailand. Mm-hmm. And, of course, grandmas in Northern Thailand are using MSG. So you'll, there'll be a recipe that'll call for, like, you know, pork blood, pork stomach, pork belly, MSG, optional. <laughs> As though it would be way right. harder uh-huh. for a like like Eurocentric reader to stomach right. the idea like, of yeah, MSG gonna, rather than pork blood. I'm going to throw these cubes of pork blood, but MSG, I don't know. <laughs> so wow. that's about it. Like I am more so. I, I was going to say more so than usual. No, I'm always curious to hear how our listeners are cooking, but like I want to know like how you're using MSG in your cooking because I, I feel like I if, could be doing more. I want to know if our listeners are using it. Um, I'm going to guess they are. some are and most aren't. Yeah. But that let us know. Where do you buy it? Um, I buy it at Uwajimaya, the uh, Japanese supermarket. And this is, in fact, uh, the label has worn off. This is Ajinomoto brand. Mm. Are um, you are you brand loyal? No. It's it's like it's like table salt. It's it's just a pure chemical. Okay. Cool. Wow. Okay. Well, this has been an episode of a lot of learning. Yeah. I I feel like I learned some things. I feel like I need a nap. I think I think my finger swelled up. Oh gosh, we get to oh, we can have dessert now. We had oh, that, that right. red cooked pork and now we can have dessert. Yes. That'll perk me up. We're you know what we're having for dessert? Walter's Mandler. Walter's Mandler, the world's greatest candy bar. This episode was brought to you by Panama City Beach, Florida. Matthew, I've been dreaming of a beach vacation. It it is winter. And I hear that Panama City Beach has sugar white sands and turquoise waters. Yeah, but you know what I'm in it for? The heart-pounding thrills. (laughs) Matthew, I can't wait to see what you do in Panama City Beach, Florida. Make it your own. The real fun beach, Panama City Beach. Plan your escape today at visitpanamacitybeach.com. Please, I don't know, tell us some MSG stories. Tell us what you like to cook. Tell us some MSG stories as long as they're not, I went to a Chinese restaurant and then I felt funny afterwards because well, no, we've I, heard that story. No, no, no. I mean, tell us some stories about like delicious things you've made yes, with MSG. exactly. I should be more specific. Uh, you, you can, can f- tell us that uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash spilledmilkpodcast. Or on our website, spilledmilkpodcast.com, where we'll post the salty cabbage recipe. We'll post a link to Helen Rosner's article. We'll post a link to that This American Life story. Um, 
Francis Lamb's chickpea tofu recipe. Did you say that you'd put the salty cabbage recipe up there again? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it. Producer Abby's going to do it. Thanks, Producer Abby. Thanks, Producer Abby. Yeah, our producer is Abby Circatella. And uh, we're on Instagram at Spilled Milk Podcast. And until next time, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk, the show that's now offering a boat tour where you can sail past our window <laughs> <laughs> and point and point at us and uh, talk about supply and demand <laughs> and see see lots of like belching. I'm Molly Weisenberg, and I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Mmm. Mmm. Very good, right? Mmm. Mm-hmm. I just have to not think about the brown sauce. Mm-hmm. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 